RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Once more into the stream, it's Mission Log Live. I'm Ken Ray, and I'm Ken Ray. John Champion's a traveling man. Whoa, so he will not be joining us tonight. But we've got something, uh, got somebody filling in. Uh, Mission Log and Mission Log Live executive producer Rod Roddenberry is joining us. He's one of the producers of a slew of new track with which we're going to uh, be being hit at the Picard show, the animated show, and other things about which we don't know. So he'll be here tonight talking track, talking the track future, and answering your questions. Of course, that means he needs to hear your questions, so you need to ask them. And of course, there are a few ways to do that. You can click the link on our Zoom meeting, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone. You can also call us, dialing numbers, the old-fashioned way, 646-558-8656 is the phone number to call, 646-558-8656. And then uh, enter the meeting code that you'll find in the show description and the comments. Then you're talking to Rod and to me, 646-558-8656. I want to do the usual romper room thing, which means I'm going to have to put on my glasses. Otherwise, it'll be, um, oh, I see blurry person and blurry person and blurry guy. Uh, David's here. Mary's here. Chuck's here. Carlos is here. Um, Eugene. What kind of name is Eugene? Yeah, maybe we'll ask somebody later. Uh, Earl is here. Matthew is here. Donna's here. <laughs> Hello, Donna. Kim's here. And a bunch of other people, too. It's, it really is like the romp room thing if I just keep doing that. But thank you to everybody who is watching us live, either on Facebook or on YouTube. Thank you to the people who are catching the video later. And finally, thanks to the people who are listening to the audio version of this show. As you know, there are lots more shows on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Otherwise, it would just be the Roddenberry Podcast. So we'd love it if you would check out podcast.roddenberry.com. That is the home of the Roddenberry Podcast Network. There you will find Mission Log, Mission Log Live, The Track Files, Women at Warp, Priority One, and who knows what else is coming down the pike, podcast.roddenberry.com. And finally, you know that shot of dopamine you get when somebody likes something that you say on social media or maybe reposts something that you post on social media? Please shoot us up wherever you're listening to this or seeing this. Hit like, hit share. Uh, If it has a star rating, give us five stars. Because as Paul McCartney said, it is nice of you to hit like and share on social media. I want to tell you really quickly about some stuff that we have coming up. We've got the virtual reality thing still going. Boy, oh boy, the end of the year is coming up quick. On the 13th of December, so not not today, but on the 13th of December, we will have our final trivia championship in Stansar. Um, so, yeah. That's we've had round one, round two, we had three rounds and those three champions are going to come back and decide uh, who takes the prizes because there will be prizes, both virtual and um, real world for the grand prize winner anyway. So be sure to check that out. That is the 13th of December. It'll be 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. That's at Sansar.com. By the way, go there, go ahead, open up your account early. It is free. And then go back early and check out the stuff. Because, yeah, there's what we do. But, I mean, there are tons of things there. There's a, a, a fantastic exhibit where you can actually go into an Egyptian crypt that people are not allowed to go into. But they photograph the actual crypt itself. You go in, you walk around. You can get 
I mean, it feels like when you're in it, you can get within inches of the wall. You can see the chisel marks of the things that were made there. And then you can go to some fantasy spaceport that somebody else built. Then you can go to the moon. And then, of course, you can go to the bridge of the Enterprise. Or you can go to the Roddenberry Nexus in Sansar. Just a ton of stuff to check out there. And then, of course, the 13th, we've got the trivia thing as well. Sansar.com to open your account. No headset required. I mean, yeah, it makes it more fun, but it's not necessary. You can find out more at Sansar.com. A couple of other things to tell you about before we get to Rod. Uh, things coming up on this show. Next week, the 4th of December, Andrea Letamendi and Brian Ward of Arkham Sessions will be here. Uh, then a couple of days later, Thursday, the 6th of December, that's when the next short track, The Brightest Star, will premiere. So we'll be talking about that the following Tuesday, the 11th of December, with Ira and Josh, the hosts of Two Guys, One Track. So lots of stuff to look forward to just over the next few weeks, including the return of the Discovery series in January. So please don't go anywhere. Or if you do, please take us with you when you do. Finally, we have the poll question. Last week, the question was Trek's giving plans with Trek or without Trek. Uh, People said 66% said that they were going to be spending part of their Thanksgiving with Trek. 34% said they would be spending it trekless, which I don't know if that's because they were on a trek of their own and couldn't take their trek with them. But, you know, that was last week's question and we've moved on. Uh, This week, well, this week's question came from um, tonight's co-host slash guest slash guest of honor slash dude. (laughs) Are we capable of a Star Trek-like future? It seems like a simple question with just a yes, no answer, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. In fact, I kind of want to ask people who call in and please do call in, um, you know, what they're feeling on it is as well. Um, are we capable of a Star Trek like future? Yes or no. I hit the poll because, um, that'd be a really interesting question to answer. And now it's time to ask the guy who asked the question, some questions as well. Uh, Rod Roddenberry has a hand in the production of short films, TV series, graphic novels, and podcasts. He had a sort of adventurers club at one point, and he's recently planted a flag in virtual reality. Scuba diver, pontificator, and drinker extraordinaire, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, say hey to Rod Roddenberry. Hey, everyone. Um, hey, yeah, that, that's a pretty good description. That's, <laughs> that's pretty accurate, I think, too. Uh, the Adventurers Club, the Scuba Diver, or the Drinker Extraordinaire? The, the Drinker Extraordinaire, I think, works yeah. out really well. <clears throat> yeah. And when they bring that into virtual reality, uh, that's where I'll just spend the rest of my time. Won't that be nice? I mean, not to, it's not all about drinking, but, you know, some it's of it not. could be. Yeah. But I want to start the reputation. Let me, uh, well, I'll tell you about a bar <laughs> I went to <laughs> in Sansar at some point, And the thing is, you just try to grab the glass and it really just mocks you. More than yes, uh, yes, yes. Hey, hey, quickly on the question. I, I you know, I, I was, I, I asked that question and I, I want to give just a little bit more background on that because, um, <clears throat> and I know I don't want to, you know, I, I kind of want this to come from an organic place, but I was always surprised on, on how many people I've met throughout the years, you know, all Star Trek fans out there, they, they say, you know, wouldn't that Star Trek future be great? And a lot of them say, yeah, and, and, and we're going to get there. But there have been a number that say, too bad, it's impossible. And that's, and that's you know, I, it's, it's important 
to hear that point of view, even though it hurts to hear it. It's important to hear that because I, in recent years, have had my 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 negativities. You know, it's hard to always be optimistic, and I've been rather pessimistic in recent years. So it's been it's been really hard to sort of um look at that future every day and every moment and say, yeah, that's, you know, we're, and we're going there. So anyhow, mm-hmm. that's the context of the question. Why do you feel like, I mean, well, here's the problem that I have though. You asked the question, what's your answer? It, it's still, yes, we're going to get there. I, I was hoping we were, I was hoping in the years that I've been alive, 44 years, uh, that I, I could with confidence say, and in certain areas I can, but I, with, with total confidence say, we as a species are definitely 100% moving in that direction. And I, and I still say we are. I just thought it was, it was, it was more uh, three steps forward, one step back. And now I think it's three steps forward, two steps back, or two and a half steps back. So we're, we are moving there, but, I, but we're making tons of mistakes, which is good because we're learning from mistakes. But not, we, I don't want to get into politics, but we're, we're all, many countries, many nations, many governments are all leading, leaning in this nationalist direction. And, and I, it, I, it's, it's frustrating is what it is. Hmm. I thought we would be further along. You know, I, I look at the, it's good that we are able in this nation to have a discussion and have disagreements. And, and the problem is, I don't know if we're really having the discussion. We're just saying, no, I believe this. No, I believe this. You're wrong. You're wrong. And again, I'm not saying everyone's like that. Yes, there are intelligent conversations being had. But as a whole, I, I kind of just feel like it's just too much arguing and not enough. Hold on. Let me hear the reasons why you think that without being offended. And then let me share mine and having that back and forth. That's- so what are you doing? I'm sorry. Not, I mean, not to, not to put you on the spot. I mean, is that why you no. started the foundation? Is that part of the reason that you uh, talk as much about Star Trek as you do? Because I mean, given your last name, given your lineage, I don't know how you wouldn't talk about Star Trek unless you just like totally disavowed it. I mean, I assume sure. George Lucas has kids. I don't see George Lucas kids wandering around and talking about, you know, Star Wars all the time. Sure. I mean, is it, is it, is is the Star Trek thing the thing that you think that it's going to take us forward? Is it the foundation that they did this for you? I mean, what is it that makes? Um, I mean, what are you doing to push forward that possibility? Well, uh, to partially answer your question, if I go too often, too far off in a tangent, I may need you to bring me back. Um, I, I live and breathe Star Trek, and, and what I live and breathe about Star Trek is not the shows, not the episodes, not the different series, but the philosophy. I, I genuinely, with all of my heart love that future. I am a fan. I am not a fan. I am a devout follower, devout follower of that potential future that we have and the ability for us to not just see past our differences, but you guys have heard me say this before, but but the crave and thirst for these uniquenesses between us and learn from them and then go beyond our planet and find other species that look at the universe in a different way and say, wow, what, what is it that you guys see? Oh my God, I never thought of it that way. What a great thing. How can we incorporate our thoughts together? Anyhow, I love that idea. Now, as a incredibly flawed human being, I don't do that every day. I will stand on my soapbox now and tell you the way that I think it should be. But please know that every day I struggle with, with attempting to be 1% of this better human. Um, and, and to try to get back to your question, you know, one way that I do it in entertainment, um, the shows that we do at Roddenberry, the, the, the documentaries, the short films, the projects, we, we all want to have that... Um, 
I don't want to just always say optimistic view, but at least something that allows you to see a counterpoint, to see an opposing point of view from a from a from a, a in a valid way to to see the other side of someone's point of view. Um, Devil in the Dark, which is my favorite, one of my well, probably my favorite original series episode. I, I love that one because you at the beginning you see this rock monster and it's killing people and it's the bad guy. But spoiler alert, fifty two years later. If um, at the end of the episode, you realize that the mother protecting its young and we're the devils in the dark, we're the ones that were killing its children. So I love it when you can finally come over and empathize. Empathy is the big word. When you can empathize with the other point of view, you don't have to agree with it, but you can understand it from that point of view and say, oh, okay, I could see how you would see this situation that way. And, and that's, I mean, that's the most important part. So, so in the shows that we're doing, including Discovery, the notes that we send in, we try to make sure have that message if we feel that they're missing it in some way. Um, with the foundation, that is that is my most passionate thing right now. Uh, the Roddenberry Foundation, we started in 2010, for those of you who don't know. And it is really built on the principle of Star Trek, uh, the idea of working towards this better future. We don't, we're not putting, we're not working with Band-Aid solutions. And when I say Band-Aid solutions, I always give the worst examples for these, but uh, we're not... Forgive my callousness, but the way I say this, if for homelessness, this is a terrible example. We don't give blankets to the homeless. We try to find the systemic issue, the root cause of homelessness, and try to address that. Uh, again, I, homelessness is a bad example because I don't know what that root cause is. Um, but uh, Wild Aid is a is a great nonprofit organization, and and they they uh, whether it's the, the animals in the ocean or animals on land, they say. Um, when the buying stops, the killing can too. When people are educated enough and learn enough to know that shark fin and rhino horn and tiger bone do not have medicinal qualities, when people start to learn that and, and go beyond the superstition of what it is, when the buying stops, well, the killing of these animals can too. But if you're just going after the poachers and building fences and, and trying to take them out, there's always going to be another poacher. Let's go after the root cause. Let's go after what this is so anyhow that's um oh god i've said too much already that's that's me preaching. <laughs> no it's fine um for people who want to know more about what the roddenberry foundation does by the way roddenberryfoundation.org is the place to do that uh, roddenberryfoundation.org not that that's what this is all about but certainly that i mean I, I put you on the spot what are you doing and you know the roddenberry foundation certainly is a big thing Hey, listen, um, John, when he is here, is great about reading the comments in Facebook and throwing them back at you guys. My eyes are shot. Uh -huh. Plus, I'm here by myself this week. So if anybody has comments, because I'm seeing comments go streaming by on the Facebook thing next to me. I don't know why I bothered leaving it open, because I can't read it. Yeah. So 646-558-8656 is the number to call. 646-558-8656. Uh, you can also uh, click the link to our Zoom meeting, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone. But again, 646-558-8656. Then enter the meeting code in your show description. And listen, if, if you disagree with Rod, fight him. Call in and fight. Because, I mean, I mean, he's not... I hope that's okay with you, Rod. Uh, absolutely. And I don't, I don't see it as a fight. If someone calls in with a sort of a valid uh, alternative point of view, by all mm -hmm. means, I mean, I, I'd love to hear it because I, I, I have not thought of everything. I'll tell you that. Uh, and yeah. I well, comment about homelessness and what it's caused by. And, and absolutely. I mean, I, 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 I agree with that comment. Um, but yes, feel free to call in, please. 
Yeah. And and by the way, I only say fight him because it's good for ratings. You know, it's blood sport, for, yes. things we'll like just that. yell at each other. Yeah. And it's fantastic. Yeah. I wish we could get like if we could get like nine heads on the screen and everybody yelling at once. That would really it'd feel like a cable news show at that point, which would be great. It'd be perfect. Um, so here's a question that uh, won't start in any fights, I'm sure. And you kind of alluded to it, actually, with your whole, you know, the notes we send in on Discovery. Uh-huh. Um, what is Star Trek and what isn't? And I'm not asking, like, you know, specific shows or episodes or films or thing like that. I'm saying when you think about what makes Star Trek, because I will tell you when you were talking, I did pop on my glasses really quickly. And I saw somebody say that they wish Discovery showed more of the optimistic or the brighter future in a way. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking you to say something bad about something that's in production now, nor about something that's ever been in production. I'm saying when somebody says to you, Star Trek, what makes Star Trek as far as, you know, in your head, what does that, what does that kick off in your mind? I've been struggling with this for years, if not decades. Um, I will be completely open and say, I have my own view of what Star Trek is. And because my last name's Roddenberry does not necessarily mean what I think is, is law. Um, in fact, it's not that it doesn't necessarily, it certainly doesn't mean that. Um, but sometimes I feel so passionate, like many of you out there, uh, with your opinions of what Star Trek should be and shouldn't be, I feel so passionate that I want to say, God damn it, this is what it is. And I'm a Roddenberry and I get to say that. And you know what? It doesn't matter if your name's Roddenberry. You guys all get to say that too. Um, it's just because I'm so passionate. And and you mentioned Star Wars before. And I grew up on Star Wars and I love Star Wars. And it's great, but it is entertainment for me. And And I'm sure we can argue there's some philosophy in it. Star Trek has true meaning, true, it, it inspires. Um, and again, I'm not saying anything people don't already know. I just think Star Trek should always be doing that um, and should always be making people consider multiple points of view. And when it's not doing that, in my opinion, well, it's not the Star Trek I want it to be. Um, so so my, I, most of you have probably heard this, I am a Next Generation fan. I grew up on Next Generation. I, I still today love Generation is my favorite. Um, uh, TOS is certainly a favorite as well, but Next Gen takes the cake. Um, just because I loved, I loved that, that there was a crew on a ship and they all worked together. And, and there was, I don't, it's not a chain of command in a military way, but there was respect for each other's position. The captain respected everyone else's position. He would, he would, he would defer to them and their point of view. And then with all the information coming in around the boardroom, the, the, the table, he would make an informed decision based on, on his ideas and everyone else's. And that's the way I think everything should work cooperatively. And so I really sort of love that. I understand it got boring sometimes. There wasn't necessarily a laser fight or a ship didn't blow up. And that's fine. Again, I love Star Trek for its messaging, not necessarily for its sci-fi. Um, so I don't know if that says what it, I, I think that answers the question a little bit, I hope. Well, there's kind of a weird, I mean, it's, this is sort of a weird thing for you to address, I suppose. Like, um, if you listen to Priority One, there are people on Priority One who are not very excited about some of the stuff that's coming up. And then there are other people on Priority One who are very excited about the stuff that's coming up. And then there's this weird sort of subset. And I've talked to people outside of that show as well, mm-hmm. who are excited about shows that they don't care about which I know is kind of weird, but John's actually referred to it on this show before as well. He's excited about the possibility that there's enough Star Trek on TV or, you know, in movies or wherever that there can actually be a Star Trek that he's like, yeah, you know, that's not for me, but I'm glad it's out there. 
Now, believe it or not, though I've, you know, I've talked to you more than once, (laughs) I actually did some research online uh, getting ready for tonight. And one of the things that you said is actually one of the first conversations you and I ever had, which was you were excited about the J.J. Abrams 2009 Star Trek because it made Star Trek cool again. Yeah. Now, I have met people who like, there's this one, I've told this story on the show before. So for people who've heard it, I'm sorry. I met somebody at one of the conventions one time. It was a mother and her 13-year-old daughter. And they had taken her 13-year-old daughter to see Into Darkness. And she loved it. And they were like, okay, well, if you like Into Darkness, probably you should go ahead and see the 2009 movie. And she loved it even more. And they were like, okay, well, maybe you should actually see the original series stuff. And she like, I mean, she she's has consumed everything Star Trek she could find since. So even though you might look at something like a like a like a um, into darkness or something like that and think, well, this is ruining Star Trek. I mean, it's also opening the door for a lot of people, right? Yeah, it is. I agree with you, and and that's where as 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 much as I stand up and preach this open mindedness, that's where I often become so narrow minded because, you know, I I appreciate all the other series. Um, I, I don't know if they hold up in, in my line of thinking as to what Star Trek should be uh, as much as I'd like them to be. Um, so when people have started, when people say, oh, Deep Space Nine is my favorite series, uh, don't get me wrong. I, I think it's a great series, but it's, it's in my opinion. And let me, let me actually, before you all yell at me, let me just own up and say I have not seen every episode. I am halfway through season two and I've seen a bit of season five. So I guess maybe I should say this in like two and a half years when I've watched it all through mission log. Um, it, 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 it shows sort of the humanity that we are now. I think too often the bickering between us, the insecurities we have, um, not all characters, not all the way through, but it just shows more of that where I think I would, let's put it this way. I'd rather be on the enterprise D than deep space nine. Um, I just feel like I would be respected a bit more and, and, and my, my opinion would count a bit more. Um, but maybe those are my own insecurities. Um, yeah, I don't even know if I'm answering your question. I, I think it's good that people are, no, I think it's good that people are coming in and seeing Star Trek from different points of view. I did think the first movie was a great introduction. The reason I'm so loose with the movies and I'm not as, I'm not as narrow-minded is because the movies have traditionally always been these two-hour long or hour and a half long, 90-minute, Um, they're entertainment. They're made to bring the masses in and have action and have explosions and have laser fights. And if they can get some messaging in, great. That's wonderful. But the movies had traditionally mostly been about bringing in the mass audience. The TV shows, I think, are where Star Trek belongs. Not that they can't do movies. They can. But where it really, let me say that TV shows are where Star Trek can really shine. I would honestly argue that the worst Star Trek movie, Star Trek V, may have the most Star Trek message of any of the Star Trek movies, which, you know, is kind of crazy. But, you know, the movies are like a whole different animal. They're kind of a weird thing. Hey, um, we actually have a caller. But before we get to the caller, I want to remind other people how to call in. 646-558-8656 is the phone number to call. 646-558-8656. There, you've seen me in my glasses. It's all ruined for me now. It's all ruined. Will, can you make it all better? And Robert Joseph, I just want to let you know um, that uh, Andromeda may... I can't say anything. Wait, 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 wait. Somewhere down the road. 
Okay, here's the problem. You're now going to have to say what that question was, but we actually okay. do have the caller first. So let's get let's get to Will, and then you can say what his question was and his answer. Hey, Will, what's on your mind tonight? Hi, Ken. Thanks for having me. Thanks for calling in. Hey, Will. Uh, good to be here. Uh, just want to tell Rod that you know I've been with you and Ken since the launch. Uh, I think. Uh, I think that uh, John took my first question at around episode eight. (laughs) And I think, and I know you guys are progressive liberals and I'm on the right. And I will, I wanted to tell Rod that I love listening to you guys because I've always felt that your commentary has always been fair and balanced on the subjects that Star Trek tried to tackle. Um, And the reason why I called in tonight, my questions for Rod were two. I have two, actually. Um, One was, I had heard, and I don't know where, what magazine I read it in, that um, your father had the opportunity to buy the rights for Star Trek back when it went into syndication and um, didn't have the capital to do that. Do you feel that if if he had done that, if he had bought the rights and it wasn't in the hands of uh, who controls it now, and he's had control over it, and now that would mean you'd have control of it, is there anything that you would have done differently with the property? Um, and uh, two, I had I had also read that you'd worked on the first season of the next generation and then left. Is that true or not? And um, what what were the reasons for that? I guess those are my two questions. Sure thing. Let me start with the, the second question and clear that one up. And then I may need you to repeat the first one again. Um, I was 13 years old. Uh, the, the quick story is, is that I was 13. Uh, my father wanted me to learn what it was to work for a living a little bit, work for a summer. And I was pissed off because all my friends were going to go play. And he kept telling me that people would kill for this job. And and I'd like, they don't have to, they can have it. Um, but I was 13, I didn't know. So I was a PA on the show, I made coffee, I delivered scripts, I was a screw up, I rode bikes around the lot terrorizing the security guards. This was all before 9-11. Um, now I think they would just shoot me, but anyhow. Um, I, I, I didn't leave, I was, I was 13 and it was a summer job. So there was no, there was no um, story around that besides I was there. I, I may not have taken it, the most advantage of it that I should have, but I was 13 <laughs> and summer ended and I went back to school. So that's, that's that answer. It's uh, not that exciting. Your first question, um, ask it again quickly, if you don't mind, just so I. Well, I had read um, through the rumor mill that uh, your father had, might have had an opportunity to actually purchase the rights right. to the show. And I didn't know if that was true. And uh, had he gotten control of the show, had he owned the property, like say George Lucas owned Star Wars, do you think there wouldn't have been anything done differently with the property? And if you owned it now, would you have done anything differently with the property? Uh, so I can't say for sure that I know that it was never offered to sale for him. I have not heard that story, but I've heard other people say it, like from your point of view, like they've heard it through the room mail, but I've never heard it from a source that I I, I consider it valid to, to say that. But, I mean, it's entirely possible that after season three of TOS, when it was a complete failure, that someone nudged my father and said, hey, you might be able to pick this up for a steal. 
Um, but I think at that time, my father might even thought that it was it was dead too. Uh, it wasn't obviously until the 70s when it went into syndication and then it became really popular. So I can't validate that for sure. Uh, I've just never heard it uh, from a valid source. Um, as far as what would Star Trek be, you know, my father, other people out there, uh, I, I'm going to put them in pretty high categories, but I'm just using these people as examples. Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, other people who started these large ideas, concepts, they didn't get everything right. And I'm not trying to say my father couldn't have done it. I'm certainly not saying that. Just like Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, they make mistakes. You know, there are certain things that my father did that didn't work out. For example, the story that I've heard is that when uh, Bob Justman introduced Patrick Stewart to my father, my father kind of let, no way am I going to have this elderly bald guy, sorry, Ken, um, as a show lead. Um, so that's, that's the story that I heard. But, but they, they fought for him. And Bob Justman and, and the people supporting Bob, they, they got him on. So clearly my father respected Bob enough to, to, to go with his, his, his gut on that one. And, and today, you know, I would follow any balding older guy into any situation, Ken, just to let you know. Um, if, uh, Thank, if, I, for that. <laughs> if I, uh, if I had somehow gotten Star Trek, you know, I, way before they started the series, I, I often ask myself the question if somehow I could take over Star Trek, would I? And the answer was no back then because I was, I, I, I was then and I am now would be way too scared to take over Star Trek single-handedly. Um, but I can tell you, if it somehow fell on me back then, or even today, uh, I don't want to say today, but I, I would, I would, today I would halt production for sure, and I would spend the next two years putting an incredible team together of, of so many people that knew so much more than I did, that I trusted, that I knew were talented, and I would, I would have, hopefully, an incredibly collaborative team make the next great Star Trek series. Would it be great? I don't know. I don't know. Like I say, I often see things like this and I forget about all the stuff out here. Sorry, that's narrow-minded. I, I get, like we all do, we get so passionate about the things we love. We can only see it for it, what it is in that one way. And we often can't be objective. And that could be a detriment to Star Trek if I were managing it. Um, but that's why I would team up with, with people who could provide hopefully that 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 more uh, broad point of view, and I would listen to them and take 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 points from them on on how it should go. So anyhow, I, I hope that kind of answers your question. By no means am I saying that I should take over Star Trek. It, it's it's in very good hands. Um, it, it, I, it needs to evolve, but it's in very good hands. I gotta say really quickly, I I can't think of much that would have been worse for Star Trek than if Gene Roddenberry had owned it. And I don't mean to sound terrible about it. I mean, no, certainly I, his ideas, certainly his philosophies. I mean, certainly all the things that we love about Star Trek came from him. Mm -hmm. But if Star Trek, the motion picture had been followed by Star Trek, the motion picture two, we don't yeah. get Star Trek three. And, yeah. and, and Star Trek two is wildly different as far yeah. as Star Trek is concerned. And yet so many of us love it yeah. for so many reasons. And there's some Star Trek there, but it really is what it, there's one review that I've heard about that basically says it's the best submarine movie ever made. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's great. And I don't know that it's something that, that would have come from the mind of Gene Roddenberry. And if, if, if it had stayed the way it was going, then we might not have come back to some really wonderful stuff, including next gen. I don't know. Yeah. No, but of I course, think you're 100% right. 
you would need a time machine to figure that out. And if you get a time machine, please do something better and more important with it than that. <laughs> Will, thank you very much for calling in, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me. Have a great night. You Absolutely. too. Thanks. To go back to that question that was that was asked, that was the person was asking, um, they want Andromeda, the TV series, to come back. And uh, there's no guarantees. There's no nothing. Uh, I think I can safely say we're in discussions with people and they're interested, but that doesn't mean anything. When someone's interested in Hollywood, it, it literally means nothing. It means exactly that. Someone is interested. It doesn't mean it'll ever happen. So, so you're not the only one, I guess, is safe to say that hopes it'll come back in some form. 646-558-8656 is the phone number to call 646-558-8656. Or you can join our Zoom meeting. Uh, you can do that from the Facebook page or you can use the one tap from your smartphone. Uh, when you call in that number, 646-558-8656, you enter the meeting code on the show description and then you're on the phone with us. Uh, Rod, we've actually got a tiny bit of business to do. So I'm going to ask you to hang out for a minute so that I can tell people about uh, Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. If you're looking at the video of this show and for the audio people, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll try to do my best to describe it. But the video of the show, all those ships behind me, those are all Eagle Moss ships. In fact, there is a Discovery up there and a Shenzhou as well. Season two of Discovery is less than two months away, and Eagle Moss uh, wants you to get a Discovery of your very own and a slew of other ships from the series, all part of the Eagle Moss Discovery Starships collection. On the Federation side, you got ships like the Shenzhou, the Discovery, the Corella, the Europa. On the Klingon side, you've got the newly imagined Bird of Prey. You've got the Kroch class destroyer. You want Vulcans? Oh, yeah, we got Vulcans. How about the Solcar class Vulcan cruiser? You can check out the entire line at eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. Um, they're pretty impressive ships, honestly. But, I mean, the pictures are good, but holding them in your hand, that's when the quality of the materials they use and the attention to detail really hits you. Each ship comes with the awesome magazine full of real-world and in-universe information, and each comes with a display stand suitable for displaying your ships or just, you know, standing there and looking pretty on their own. Subscribers will get their first ship, the USS Shenzhou NCC-1227, for only $9.95 with free shipping. Additional models, including the Discovery, will ship monthly for the special subscriber price of only $44.95. That is 20% off the standard retail price for each one of those, and they also come with free shipping. Now, if you'd rather pick and choose your ships, you can do that too. For that, you go to shop.eaglemoss.com or you check your local comic shop. You're going to pay about 10 bucks more there, but saving money isn't the only reason to subscribe. Subscribers get free gifts worth over $100 during their subscription, and of course, you can cancel that subscription at any time. So, to subscribe eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships to buy individually shop.eaglemoss.com and a huge thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. 646-558-8656 is the phone number to call 646-558-8656 or you can uh, yeah, tap the thing for the Zoom thing and then do the deal and the wahey and the waho. I did not realize that you had worked on NextGen. Sorry uh, for people... I can't imagine you're just joining us, but if you're just joining us, Rod Roddenberry is our guest uh, this evening, our guest, our co-host, our, our, our Star Trek pal. Um, I did know, though, while I didn't know that you had worked on Next Gen, I do know that you worked on Earth Final Conflict. Yes. 
talk to me about that because I used to watch Earth Final Conflict, but it's been close to 30 years now. I don't remember a lot about it. First of all, what was the deal? What was your involvement? What was your dad's and your dad wasn't involved because that was after that. But like, what was, what was the idea? What was the story? What was the thrust of that show? So it, it, it all came from a story that my father wrote called Battleground Earth. And I forgot what year that was written. I, I feel like the 70s, certainly not the 80s, and I don't think the 60s. So let's just say sometime in the 70s, we can, someone will Google it and confirm. Um, and it, it was about an alien race. And, and, and really, to, 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 did, did anyone see uh, the series V or the, the movie series V? Well, that came out after Battleground Earth. And I'm not saying anyone copied anything, but there was a a very strange similarity and it's a coincidence and that's fine. It's not the most original idea, but anyhow, the idea is aliens come to earth and they say, Hey, we're, we're your friends. We're going to help you out, bring us in. So we kind of bring this, this in and, and little, do we find out a little bit later that they're, they're actually, you know, using us for experiments and, and all sorts of things. There's actually more nefarious plot going on. That was battleground earth. And, um, we ended up working with a, a, a company and, and shooting it in Toronto. And we started production, I think, in 96 or 97. And it was my first foray into the industry. I had one year of college left. And my mother, uh, my father had passed away, obviously. And my mother had pr- pretty much brought this to, to a producer, David Kirshner. And they brought it to Tremune Entertainment. And, and they're the ones who really kind of got it off the ground. Um, my mother gave me the opportunity to work on it. And I thought, you know what, I'm, I don't know if I'll get an opportunity like this again. So yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to start off uh, on the ground level of this. And so I left college saying that, Oh yeah, I'll come back to it. And, um, and moved to Toronto. And uh, it, it, it was an incredible experience. You know, there's, 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 I I learned a great deal. Um, Not necessarily about filmmaking, but a little bit about Hollywood politics uh, by no means am I a master at that at all, <laughs> but um, I, I learned a lot about the politics of of movie making. And I and going to the creative side, I thought it was an incredibly original idea at that time. I still think it's original in, in the sense in the way they created the aliens were these jelly like creatures or jellyfish. They had this sort of glowing thing, and they could put on a human sort of uh, skin and. It, it was complex. It was unique. The they their buildings were organic. It was it was a really well done first season. Um, unfortunately, politics happened, and they they had to make a, a significant change in the second season. And while the lead they brought on then was spectacular, it's really tough for a show to remove their lead after whatever it was twenty two episodes and bring in an entirely new guy. And and so it it. it there were also writing politics. There was a lot of stuff going on, unfortunately, that I think didn't help the show. Um, Remind me. It's one of my favorite uh, things that the Roddenberry family's done. Next. Okay. Because I was going to ask about that because it, it did it have the same sort of positive vibe that uh, a lot of the Star Trek things that your dad had been involved with or like something like a quester or something like that. I mean, there's a, there's a line of optimism that yeah. runs through those things. And I'd, as I say, it's been quite a while. I don't remember whether Earth Final Conflict had that or not. You know, it had it like a lot of shows today have it. It had it where the lead character was hopefully a character who chose to do the right thing over the wrong. Um, it, it wasn't groundbreaking in that sense. It wasn't pushing boundaries by having 
you know, uh, a character of, of whatever, uh, Star Trek, they had the first African-American human, uh, human, uh, white, white kiss, whatever. That, that was a big deal at the time. They weren't breaking boundaries like that on this series, at least not that I recall. Um, but again, there was a good guy who, who did good things and there was the alien race and there were some bad guys in the alien race, but there were some good guys and there was conflict. It was, it was, I mean, it, it fit, but it, you know, I, I don't know if it hit it on the nose. Hmm. Um, I don't know what I would have done differently, actually. I, I, again, I'm not going to say I could have done it better by any stretch. Um, but uh, it, it was a good series. And I hope one day in some form it comes back. 646-558-8656 is the phone number to call. 646-558-8656. That is how Will joined us earlier. You can also click the uh, Zoom link in Facebook or the one tap on your smartphone. That is how Earl joins us right now. Good evening, Earl. Well, guys, how are you doing? Doing well, man. What's on your mind tonight? Good, well, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny. I was just trying to dig around in a box of my stuff at the last moment because I just moved recently. Um, I was working at a, uh, a UPN station in the late 90s, and okay. we happened to be carrying both DS9 and Voyager, you know, obviously because we were UPN, but we also carried Earth Final Conflict. Uh, that was really one of my favorite little syndicated shows that we were carrying at the time. So yeah. I'm... Uh, I'm glad to hear that it's fondly remembered. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only person yeah. who remembers it, it. It was forgotten and it was unique. And it was, I think, you know, at its time, it was a very unique thing to see on TV. So it was one of the reasons I enjoyed it. Yeah, I was, I, I thought I might actually have one of the uh, syndication one sheet cell sheets still with me. And of course, you know, I can't find it right now, but um, speaking of other projects that your dad was involved with, one of the, one of the curiosities that I you know, really like to go back and look at every once in a while are the, the string of TV movies in the 1970s, sort of where the Dylan Hunt idea from Andromeda was born, except in more of an earthbound setting. And the thing that was common about those, even though they changed actors from, uh, I think they started out with Alex Gordon and went to John Saxon, because mm-hmm. you couldn't make television in the 1970s without John Saxon. <coughs> But there was a the common thread running through those was that rather than it being space based, it was earth based and that Dylan Hunt was always fighting to revive his civilized society on Earth after some sort of nuclear apocalypse, which in the 1970s, you know, I, I'm a child of the 70s. I you know grew up with uh, you know, sort of at the tail end of the the bomb shelter safety film era. And so I'm very well acquainted with the mindset that this was something that was inevitably going to happen. But right. I always I always thought it was kind of odd that we had this apocalyptic, you know, this nuclear apocalyptic thing built into these that just seemed so very unroddenberry. Mm-hmm. I know you guys have gone through documents, um, you know, both for Mission Log and for the Trek Files. Uh, you know, covering Star Trek and other projects. I was wondering if you'd run across anything that indicated that there was any kind of back and forth or any questioning of that element of those programs, uh, you know, like Genesis 2, Planet Earth, and so on. That's an awesome, awesome question that I have not thought of. I have a similar question that I'm going to ask back, um, but, okay. but, but to, to try to, well, I'm not going to answer yours, but to expand on it a bit. 
as some of you may or may not know, you know, my, my parents on some level were hoarders in terms of documents. Um, and so for the past almost seven, eight years now, we've had someone permanently working at our office every day, uh, finding documents, organizing documents, scanning documents so that we have a digital uh, uh, copy of them and then, and then categorizing them and putting them into file cabinets. And that's been going on for almost eight years now. Um, this person, uh, Ben, has become very knowledgeable about these things. And that is a great question to ask him. I wouldn't mind it if you wrote that down and sent it to me so I could send it to him. And, and he, it's sad, you'd think, oh, Rob Roddenberry, he should know everything. No, there's a ton of stories that my father's written that, that are sitting in cabinets that I've never seen and I just haven't taken the time to go through them yet. Um, some of them were, were we're, we're hopefully going to dig a bit deeper into Planet of the Titans is, a, is one that I think some of the fans have heard of before. And, and again, I haven't read that, but I've heard a lot about it. I know it has a lot to crossover with potential movie. Anyhow, um, that is a great question. And I'm thank you for asking it. I'm sorry, I don't have an answer. But can I throw something back at you that's a, in the same area? Uh, Quester. For those of you who have seen Quester, awesome. You'll know what I'm talking about. For those of you who haven't, spoiler alert, um, you might want to mute me now. In the end, yeah, in the end, they basically go into a cave and, well, let me just say the concept of Questor was that there have been these android-like entities, beings here that have kind of helped humanity through the hardships of our evolution. So it, going way back to the f days of the pharaohs and stuff like that, many significant characters in our evolution were essentially these androids, Genghis Khan, stuff like that. Sorry uh, for giving that away. Uh, that is essentially what's said. And what I don't like about that is that my father always said that we, you've heard this before, we've built the pyramids because we're clever, we're smart, and we work hard. We can do these things on our own. It's not aliens. It's not some outside force. We are incredible, and we should, we should value ourselves because we're incredible. We should honor that. In, in Quester, it suggested that we couldn't do it. We had to have help along the way. While it's not the end of the world, yeah, I think it's nice every, every now and then, as people, as individuals, and as a species, we might need a helping hand. But that was a little contrary to what I think my father's foundation philosophy was. Um, and so I would love to, if you were alive today, have, ask him that question. And now, ask him yours as well. Yeah, I, so, I, uh, I understand completely what you're saying, because uh, you know, I've also watched Quester a few times. Yeah, uh, you know, you're talking about there being interest in reviving Andromeda. I would love it if Quester got a second shake. For years, we have tried. For years, we have tried. Um, it was actually optioned by Imagine Entertainment um, for a while, and we were really excited about that. But unfortunately, for whatever reason, it, it just sat and, and nothing ever happened. Um, we, we went to uh, Toronto pitching it. Um, uh, uh, Sean Piller, who's a friend of mine, uh, uh, Michael Piller's son. Sean is an incredible producer and has done numerous shows. Um, he's now working uh, uh, on a show I believe he created called Private Eyes, being shot in Toronto. Um, we went around pitching it with him, and uh, unfortunately there were no takers. It will come back. It will come back in some form. I just don't know when and in what form. It's too good for it to not happen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the strongest of the pilots that uh, that Gene wrote in the 70s by miles, in my opinion. Yeah. 
And I, I think it's very, and it is very piloty. It's obviously setting things up for the future that it is not going to resolve in that first movie. And you know, I've just always been frustrated it didn't get a, you know, didn't get a series order. It's really hard to do right now because you've got um, you've got the Cylons and the Last Battlestar Galactica. You've got Westworld. You've got uh, I'm sure there's other things, but you've got that whole crossover of when when is a machine a, a humanoid android machine. What's that fine line between what is human and what is that machine? You know, that dance right. that's happening in a lot of TV. And I think that was one of the reasons why this didn't get picked up, because you know what? That's it's out there right now. Yeah. Do you, do you guys think it's possible that the reason I mean, that the reason for the post-apocalyptic thing, that the reason for the race of androids that was helping us? I mean, is it all about going where the heat is? I mean, I think back to, I mean, the fact that Gene used to write. I mean, he used to write. Did did he write westerns or was it cop shows? I apologize. He was he, he was did, alone. He did Go ahead. Both. He did he both. Did okay, both. Yeah. so he wrote he wrote cop shows because cop shows were there. He wrote westerns because westerns were there. Science fiction was a thing that he wrote in. But I mean, do you do you kind of go where the public is, and then try to make a better mm. message from there? Or do you try to take the public someplace that they don't want to go and say, no, here's the message now that I've got you out in the middle of nowhere? No, it's a, it's a great question. I, I don't know the impetus. I don't know what the original thought was. Like, I want to make a show that says something about this. Or or if it was purely what you're saying, if I'm understanding you correctly, hey, what's kind of hot on television now? Can I use that as the backdrop and then bring in you know, my point of view into that? I don't, I don't know. If there was a strategy like that. Uh, it's not about, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to make it sound like he would have just written, you know, if it was, if, if it was soap operas, he would just be in that. I mean, just, but I mean, I wonder if that's if part of it had to do with what was actually going at the time. I'm sorry. I think I interrupted you, Earl. No, I mean, um, no, I'm, I'm totally on board with what you're saying there because, you know, you not only have to launch something new into a marketplace of, somewhat limited ideas, but you know, you've also got bills to pay as a working writer. And yeah. you know, I always gave Gene credit for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I listen, I always feel awkward talking about my father as if, you know, what would your father do? And I know your question wasn't directly asking that, but it's, it, it is still, he's gone. And, and it's one of the things that I do miss. I would love to have these adult conversations and, and ask him what his idea was and, and get into the nitty gritty of what he's had to deal with the way he approaches television making. And, and if he's ever, if he's ever had to um, compromise his integrity and his vision, because he knows that, listen, no studio is going to buy that. So I've got to put whatever it is, big breasts and a car chase and explosions. And, and in this, even though that's not where my head is at or whatever. And let me, let me actually clarify that. I think my father always loved big breasts as well and probably would have put that in otherwise, but that wouldn't have been his, his driving force, at least not in television. Nice. That's, that's really, that's, that's wonderful. I'm yeah. Thank you for that. Earl, thank you very much for calling in tonight, man. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me as always. Absolutely. 646-558-8656 is the phone number to call 646-558-8656. Uh, we've got uh, just about eight or nine minutes left. Probably time for one more caller. A couple of things coming up, though. First of all, there is the lightning round coming up in just a moment. Before we do that, though, I want to let you know that after this show, there's another fantastic show 
want you to stay on Facebook and catch the live recording of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Every Tuesday at 11.30 Eastern, 8.30 Pacific, Elijah, Kenna, and Anthony bring you news from all over the Star Trek multiverse. That's TV and movie news, gaming news, literary reviews, and a whole lot of other stuff, too. As I say, they kick up at 8.30 Pacific, 11.30 Eastern, so don't touch that mouse or trackpad or whatever, except to redirect your browser to facebook.com slash priority one podcast. Of course, if you can't stay up that late because, you know, it's live and it's late and what have you, podcast.roddenberry.com every Friday. You can find the show there or wherever you get podcasts. So Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Catch them tonight if you can, facebook.com slash Priority One podcast. Um, you've never done the, the lightning round, have you, Rod? No, but every time I listen to it, I always wonder what I would say. And I, I uh, yeah, I, I feel like... I don't know. I, I feel like we might need new questions, but okay. Well, I mean, I, I try to change them up a little bit. Uh, let's start with uh, which is your favorite Star Trek starship? Uh, D, but that's just because, well, I guess D, but I'm just connected to TNG. That's fine. No, that's a, that's a perfectly good answer. You don't have to justify your answers, dude. They're yours. I Engineering, know. science, or ops? Uh, science. Okay. What's your warp speed? five it's in the middle it feels like i feel like i don't want to be too fast you know but i'm also too impatient to be at warp one so that's a, that's a good answer uh favorite holodeck character uh um um uh <clears throat> the guy not the inspector um moriarty Mor- moriarty okay love cool a bottle love shipping a bottle very cool uh you can go to one planet from star trek which one do you go Rise to <laughs> That, that surprise uh beam down or shuttlecraft beam okay and finally have you rod roddenberry ever been to vulcan alberta canada i have now have you really how was it it was great uh they had sort of a convention there and i think they had it every year i don't know if they still have it um and uh it, i mean it was amazing they they uh they, they had an event uh, at the hotel and then they had a parade and, and I think at one point they had skydivers come in, but I, anyhow, I, it was a long time ago. It was, it was a pretty cool event and it was neat to be in Vulcan. Um, were you there like in a, like in an official capacity or were you just hanging out? No, I was there in official capacity. They oh. invited guests. Very cool. Very cool. They dedicated they had a little monument stone and they dedicated that to my father there. That was very nice. We've just got a, a very few minutes left. There is something that we talk a lot about on this show. I mean, not we don't talk about it a lot. We kind of promote it because it's a thing that we're excited about. And I know you're excited about it as well. And that's the stuff that uh, we're doing. Um, well, I mean, we do it at sansar.com, but I want to talk about virtual reality uh, in general. Um, w- what's your interest in that? Why, why have you decided that that's, a, that's an area you want to look? You know, I, I, initially... I don't want to say I thought it was a fad. I, I knew it was coming eventually. I just didn't have the inside knowledge that everyone else did. And I felt like, listen, it's going to take a long time for this to happen. So I'm not really jumping on board the bandwagon. Plus, I'm an Apple person. Uh, again, I, I, I just have Macintosh machines and, and all Apple products. So Apple wasn't supporting it. So I was like, you know what? It, when it gets there, I'll get the right equipment. But uh, I, I had tried some virtual reality and I was really impressed with how it fooled my senses, how it transported me to a different place, how I 
even though it was a graphically generated environment, I felt like I was there. And it was really sort of the minute I did it that I really got excited about it. And then meeting the the group from Sansar, um, meeting them and, and experiencing what they did, I got really excited. And it was before I had read uh, Ready Player One. Um, but of course, I have friends that work in VR and work in, in, in well, holograms and everything. I, I thought it's like, this is the place that Roddenberry should be. This is, this is by, by no doubt, a huge part of our future. What it looks like exactly, I don't know. Um, but this is going to be a huge part of our future. People may be living in these spaces. The, the company Sansar, they created uh, a Second Life, or at least their former version of themselves created uh, Second Life. And there are people who practically lived in Second Life. Now imagine if you can put on these gargles and immerse yourself in an environment and interact face-to-face, albeit avatar face-to-face, with another person and, and have experiences with them and, and climb mountains and do these things. Granted, we're not getting necessarily the physical effects, but there, there's, there's, there's a fine line. You, your body starts to feel like it's doing things in there if you're in there long enough, which some may argue is not the best thing in the world. But you are really transported to another place and you get to have such unique experiences. So I wanted Roddenberry to be on the forefront of that. Um, as everyone here knows, we've partnered up with Sansar and we've started with a pretty, oh God, mundane's not the right word. It's really cool, but you know, a non-action oriented environment. This is a museum. This is our first uh, foray into this. So we thought, let's take all these cool props and items that we have and let's scan them and let's scan them in a way that you can go in there and pick them up. And the detail, it's the imperfections that make it so real. The, the fuzz on the material of the costumes, the, the rips in the costumes, the fingerprints on the props and the, and the chip paint, um, all of that stuff, I think, is what makes it a really cool experience. And we're, we're hoping to actually expand on that and make things a little bit more interactive and hopefully build a room with ships in it and stuff like that. But we'll see if that actually happens. It will. Um, yeah. It, it, it's, it? our, it's our foray, and we're going to be doing a whole lot more. Let me ask you, what is it that makes you most excited about it? I mean, is it the idea that, you know, I can skydive without skydiving? Is it the idea that I can play games in ways that people haven't before? Is it the education side of it? Is it the possibility of work? Is it seeing things you wouldn't normally see? I mean, what is it? Like, what is that thing that, that I mean, and not just it's the future, because lots of things are the future. I mean, what is it about it that makes you most excited? Opportunity. Uh, an opportunity by opportunity, I mean... Um, everything from having unique experiences that you couldn't necessarily have in real life or that are too costly or that are too difficult. And I understand there's still a difference between climbing Mount Everest for real and climbing Mount Everest virtually. I understand there's a difference. But if you can't climb Mount Everest, and that may not be the right example, but if you can't do that in real life, it can still be an exhilaration. As this technology gets better, it can still really take you there and you can have a version of that experience. Now, moving to education, um, whether it's sitting in a classroom or whatever, having materials in front of you, having books, text, having um, an avatar speaker uh, informing you about whatever topic this certain thing's going on. I mean, whether it's a school environment in, in, uh, in uh, um, Ready Player One, at least in the book, you know, they had these different sort of planets that were schools and, and you could go to school and you could interact with people and you had classrooms and, and you could pull up sort of a screen while the teacher was talking. 
I understand that these this equipment is still really expensive. And I understand, great, Rod Roddenberry, living in California in your nice house with all the money that you might have. Sure, you can have these experiences, but some kid in some third world country can't. No, they can't right now. We are moving in that direction. Technology is growing exponentially. Cost is coming down. You know, these kids who didn't have cell phones now have cell phones. They're, they're now having smart cell phones. It, it, it will happen. And they won't need to get textbooks anymore. They won't need to. Yes, they will still need food and water. And we need to work on that as well. But they will have opportunity to go into these spaces, meet people from other countries, interact people other countries, um, go to school online. Um, yes, it's important they still go out and they interact with the real world. But I'm just saying these are the benefits. There are cons. There are negatives. But I, I want to look at the positives and say this is what this technology can be used for. We now figure out we now need to figure out how to balance that. We now need to figure out how to get everything else to, to, to everyone who needs it. Shelter, food, water, clothing. Um, that all still needs to happen. But people can learn. And learning is the most important thing. We need to grow, expand, evolve intellectually. All of us. Even you. Even me? Eh, we'll see. Hey, we've actually come up uh, against the end of it. Uh, for people who uh, want to uh, keep up with everything that, that, that the organization that is Roddenberry is doing, it's Roddenberry.com. And I, I follow you on Twitter, but I don't even remember. What is your, if people want to follow you on Twitter, they go where? Uh, at Rod Roddenberry. Okay. At Rod um, Roddenberry. I am terrible at social media. I do not. Um, Instagram is kind of the only thing I do, and I do that rarely. I, I suck, everyone. I am not a social media person. I am not saying I'm better than it. I'm not saying I'm cooler than it. I'm literally just too lazy to do it. Um, but who, who knows what will happen. Or, you know, keep listening to this show and the other shows that we do, because we'll probably mention them uh, from time to time. Hey, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer. What? Rod Roddenberry. What? Technical production on Mission Log Live by Infinity Networks, producer Brandon Bradley. Be sure to check out the Mission Log shop. Just go to missionlogpodcast.com and click shop. A bunch of stuff there for you to check out. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log, but also Mission Log Live. Hi, Women at War, Priority One, and the Trek Files. Thanks to everybody who joined us live or later, and we will talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.